Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. Okay. I think we are good. Meeting is now streaming live. Welcome. Welcome, Lisa Rangel. Hey, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. So I would tell everybody about how awesome and amazing Lisa is, but I figured let me bring it to her so you could share who you are, what you do, and then we'll just jump right into the conversation. That sounds good. That sounds good. I'm Lisa Rangel. I run Chameleon Resumes and Job Landing Academy. Um, I was a recruiter for 13 years before I opened Chameleon Resumes in 2009. We're an executive resume writing and job landing consulting firm. And about two and a half years ago, I opened up Job Landing Academy for uh, professional level individuals to get the job search help and uh, document writing guidance that they need there. Well, see, Lisa and I have, we found out we have a couple of things in common. Number one, we both live in New Jersey, which is great. We don't have a comment that I've been shoveling, but she's lucky because she's an apartment and condo and not shoveling. So (laughs) my back is killing me and I'm arguing with my wife and kids about who's shoveling when we're shoveling. So this is a good way of getting away. So usually these things would be maybe half an hour, an hour. This might be like three hours long, Lisa. So this way I don't have to go outside with the ice. However we can help people, it's all good. Right. Plus the second thing is Lisa was a former recruiter, as you mentioned, for a whole lot of years. And in my opinion, because I've been a recruiter too for like 20 plus years, I think that gives some really good insights to the job market, to people looking for a job and for resumes. So if you don't mind, maybe we'll start out and say, how did, what did you do as a recruiter? And do you feel that that background really helps you help candidates? I, I started, um, when I started recruiting, I was I did legal recruiting, everything but the attorney type of recruiting uh, for law firms. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I moved to a company where I was doing accounting and finance recruiting, um, mostly uh, contract. I started in contract services, uh, you know, temporary consulting contract. You use whatever you, word somebody wants to use. How'd you like did. that? Did you? I have to tell you, I loved it. Did you? Okay. I've never done that, by the way. That's why I haven't done the contract. I loved it. And then I was promoted and, you know, oversaw executive search groups and in both IT and finance and, um, and then moved on to another company where I oversaw like some HR. And so I've done, I've either overseen or have done a number of different disciplines in recruiting on both the contract side and the, um, the direct hire or, you know, the old school term of permanent, but not, nobody, nothing's permanent anymore. Um, you know, so that's, I, I've done all different kinds of corporate recruiting yeah. and uh, um, search firm recruiting for corporations. Yeah. And when you did the recruiting, was it like the full, full desk kind of thing where you would reach out, source candidates, prep them for interviews, hold their hand throughout the process? It was, it was full scope recruiting. Yeah. And I also, especially as I rose through the ranks, I was also charged with getting the jobs. You know, so I think that's what makes our group really great is that, uh, you know, I would contact controllers, CFOs to get the orders to work on. And, and then, you know, and I would circumvent, uh, you know, some of the 
the massive, you know, uh, systems and companies that were the third party recruiters and uh, the third party, you know, vendors in between. And, and I would get the orders directly yeah. from the hiring managers. And it's, it's nothing, nothing negative against, you know, the, uh, the staffing firms that were sort of the, acting as the go-between, but, um, but, you know, as a master vendor, but I, I knew how to get the jobs. And so that's a lot of what we teach clients is, you know, how to go get the job, how to go get the, the openings essentially for themselves. They're not waiting for recruiters to call. And so, so that's a good, so that's a really interesting point. So fast forward to now in terms of writing resumes, but you, not only do you write resumes, but you kind of, you're not a career coach, but you advise candidates, right? It's you really everything that they need to do to land right. the job. So right. it's the document writing, the marketing documents, obviously resume profile, cover letters. Right. And then we teach them the job landing tactics that they need to do to create their own interviews and, you know, obviously get offers from those interviews. And some of what we show them how to do is how to, you know, make their resume ATS compliant. We write it for them, we'll make it ATS compliant and we'll show them how to interface with executive recruiters. But, you know, total about maybe 35 to 40% of hires happen that way. What is it, 55, 60, 65% of hires. It depends on the sources of hire study you're looking at. Most hires happen through employee referrals, social media connections, personal contacts, and and beyond the first, second, third degree contact yeah. that they have. So it's networking, right? The four letter word, networking. So, um, it, and that's what we what that's a lot of what we teach yeah. how how to show job seekers how to actually conduct a targeted outreach plan so they can create networking conversations that lead to the jobs that aren't even published, right? So. Uh, that's a lot of what we do. So it's sort of full scope job landing consulting versus like just being a resume or just being a resume writer or just being an interview coach. Yeah. So so what would be some of the things you would do for somebody? Because I, I agree wholeheartedly with you, especially I'm curious about your opinion. But I think particularly now throughout the pandemic, it's even harder to rely on just doing applications and resumes and hoping someone sees you. And that if you could kind of tap into people at the company whether you know them, you could find them. That's a great way to do it. So how, how do you, what do you suggest to people to get that foot in the door? Cause it's not so easy. You know, if you're extroverted, it's, it's okay, but it's, it's, no, I mean, it's, it's not, hard. and you know, people don't believe me when I tell them this, but I am inherently an introvert and I've gotten really good at, you know, putting on face and doing <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying and all that sort of thing. But it's, it is, I'm frankly, when I got into recruiting, I did it as a very, pained introvert and I did it on purpose. Um, I forced myself to take, you know, essentially a sales job because that's what recruiting is, right? Yeah. I forced so, myself. I'd say sales matchmaker. It's a very, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. I mean, I forced yeah. myself into yeah. it because I was like, you know, I know I'm yeah. really good at what I do, but if I don't learn how to sell myself in situations, I'm feeling I, I, like I had this fast forward moment when I was about 27, where I was like, if I don't learn how to promote myself and sell myself, I have a feeling I'm going to be frustrated waiting for people to see me. Yeah. And I forced myself to learn how to cold call. I forced myself how to, you know, approach people, you know, by say cold call, you know, whether it's phone, it's email, whether it's sending somebody a Twitter DM, like whatever it is, like it's just the approaching somebody cold. Like I, I forced myself to learn how to do that because I was like, I think I'm going to be frustrated with people if they don't see me. When you say force yourself, like, is that just means you just do it? Is that it? Or did you have techniques? I, you know, so 
we tend to work with a lot of introverts. Um, not that we can't help extroverts, but we just, I think because a lot of us on our team relate. Everyone on my team is a former recruiter as well. Like I, I only hire people that have former corporate or search firm experience on my team that work with clients. And I think a few of us are introverts and kind of relate. But what I try to convey to clients, again, introverted, extroverted, but just in general struggling, right? If they're struggling, is to boil it down. And I don't mean it to be oversimplified, but I try to boil it down to the activity that you do, right? I mean, you know this as a recruiter, you can only measure your experience, you know, you can only measure your progress on your outbound activity. You know, and in fact, I was actually talking to another resume writer who was a recruiter uh, prior to this just yesterday. And we were talking about how, you know, I said, you know, because after a while I was getting the jobs, I used to monitor my daily activity, my daily success by how many meetings I set up every day from the cold calling, the emailing that I was doing every day. And I set a goal every day. I wanted to set up X amount of meetings. So I knew if I got meetings, the jobs would come send outs would come, everything else would come, but it, nothing happened if I didn't have the meeting with the client to eventually get the job, right? She was saying like, you know, as the recruiter, you know, finding the candidates, and I remember this too, is like, you know, she's like, I always had send out, send out goals. And it's true, because you, you're not going to make any money as a recruiter if you don't have candidates going out on interviews. So um, boil it down as a job seeker down to what you can control. You can only control how many times you send out an email. You can only control how many times you, send, you pick up the phone and dial it. You know, you can only control how many times you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn messaging, right? So control how many outbound activity items you do. And odds are you're going to have people get back to you. And so if you just focus on that, don't get stuck in research hell, you know, analysis paralysis with your resume or research like to the nth degree, but never start on the list that you research. Don't get stuck in that stuff. Look at the end of the day, how much outbound activity did you do? Engage your success on the activity. Typically the results take care of itself when you're doing the right amount of activity qualitatively. I love that Lisa, because that's exactly what I would do and that I would teach my team to do is that it boils down to, as you're saying, it's kind of like a numbers game so that as a recruiter, you want, you know, I, I, lo I would love to see on the calendar where, okay, I met, I met now, you know, I don't meet too many people in person if at all, you know, I'm right, right. You know, doing a lot, <laughs> but it used to be people coming to the office. Right. Face -face. So like how many people I would see in the office, how many phone calls, how many send outs and send outs is, is like recruiting jargon for like how many either resumes you're putting, sending to a client or candidates going out for an interview, right. like how many interviews you have. And it was, it almost like was a science. I think you, you said that as well is that if I would look and see, hey, every day, you know, I did X amount and my team would do X amount, we know there's a good likelihood we're going to make placements. And it's just like that. But it, we also it, know we'll get rejected a lot. Right. You know, we'll get, we'll get. And, and that's how I, that's how I yeah. kind of combated my, my personal introversion, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, try to take the emotion out of it and yeah. just go, okay, you know, if I can just send out X amount and I know and work on my ratio, right? So I work on my script or I'd work on what I would say, you know, I'd work on who I contacted, like did I make sure I contacting the right people, right? And, um, and, but overall it is a numbers game. So it doesn't mean I suck. It just means I approached 50 people and 10 replied back to me, 20% is a good day. That's it, you know what I mean? And like, it, it doesn't, like it just takes a lot of the emotion out of it it and, does you know i completely and that's get what how you i dealt with it and yeah. it made 
it made it just an activity to do or an action yeah. to take versus like this big monumental thing that like, you know, I couldn't get done. And don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean I still didn't have, didn't have head trash around it, but <laughs> yeah, but it at least helps it just kind of stay in the day, move forward and, and execute. And that's what we try to teach the job seekers as well. You know, it's amazing. Like these highly accomplished, we most, we mostly work with executives or senior level professionals, but I see it at all levels. You know, you have these highly talented, very accomplished, motivated people that like, you know, they can deal with shifts in business and losses of clients and all these massive catastrophes. And then when you tell them to like pick up the phone and network with somebody, they're like, <laughs> you know, they'd like freak out. And it just also needs to be boiled down to an activity. It's a business situation that needs a plan. That's it. You know, so we try to simplify things for people to keep it right sized. So as this relates, so I like what you say about taking control because sometimes whether job search or anything else, you feel like you're not in control of your situation, your life. But if you have that game plan, it, it gives you that more confidence, right? Because like you feel you have more control over your day because you know, hey, I can pick up the phone and make 20 calls. No one's going to stop me from doing that. Right. You know what I mean? I could send out a hundred emails. So it kind of gives you a little bit more control over, it, especially at a time where a lot of things are out of your control. And so it sounds like for job seekers and for people you're dealing with that, the same thing applies, right? That they want to find, you know, they want to spend the time to look at the targets, get in front of them, get in front of the right people so that you're really taking back control. Is, is, is that, does that sound right? Does that it, make sense? It, it does. And I think the key thing though is to focus on the activity, but leave the results up to the universe. Mm -hmm. Like don't try to control the results. Some days, I mean, look, some days you have a mentally bad day. Maybe that's the day you just go, I'm going to just send 10 emails today. And that's it. Even yeah. if none of them get, get back to you, the goal and the win is that you sent them. Yes. You know, if none of them get back to you that day, that's not, that's not the goal. And that doesn't matter. You know, um, somebody might get back to you in three days, you know, maybe they saw your email and now you'll have to email them again in a week and a half. And because you sent them a second email, now they'll get back to you. So it still was a good plant that you've sent the first one. Like everything has yeah. a purpose. The goal simply yeah. is send the 10 today and the results leave it up to the universe and then do it again tomorrow like don't try to project the results or your identity in the results just your identity and your feeling good is that you did the 10 today you know that's it like you know it's not that so, simple sometimes like, you know, you know it, what it, but, is, but it really it, really works it like does. it really works it does i could attest to that because it gives those like, small win you know like absolutely. i did 10 today yay <laughs> absolutely because <laughs> you know? like you you know you have a day you feel beaten up you know as a recruiter let's say you're just trying you can't get that job order you, you know the candidate says hey i'm not going to go and cancel the last minute but then mm -hmm. you say okay like you said i'm fried but i could at least do x and maybe it's like sending out 10 emails or 15 emails or just whatever but then you feel okay you know I empowered myself because I didn't give up. I didn't throw in the towel and kept doing it. And it sounds right. like the same thing for job seekers is that, hey, yeah, you're going to have days where you get your butt kicked left and right and nothing is working out. And I think a lot of people would probably say, hey, you know what, just stop. But it sounds like what you're saying, and, 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 and I'm agreeing with you, is that, all right, wait, no, maybe just say, don't, just, don't throw in the towel just yet. What can I mean, you sometimes do? Sometimes you're just going to try one. Yeah. Just do one. 
just give it a shot, right? Yeah, I happens. mean, it's almost like the job search version of the Pomodoro technique, right? Like, <laughs> did you, you ever do it for 10 minutes? And but yeah. this is like, just do one. And if you don't want to do any more, then don't do any more. But you might, by doing the one, then get the momentum and go, all right, screw it, I'll do one more, you know? Have, and then before you know it, you've done 10. So. Have you had this happen where you do that? You push yourself one more, and that one more is really good. And you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, <laughs> you know it? And you, there's such a great feeling. Even if it's nothing monumental, it's something that's just like a turning point. It's like yeah. in a football game, you have one play that makes all the difference, you know? All the difference. And all of a sudden the momentum changes and you go from being in a bad mood and a bad head to like, I could do this. And then before you know, it's like seven at night and you're still working because you're like, yeah, you're just flying on, on adrenaline. Exactly. It, so, it can pick you back up. So I, that's yeah. why it's, it's making it like in morsel sizes and digestible actions that you can, yeah. and, and keeping it the goal of being the action, not the result. And because yeah. if you're doing enough of the action, eventually the result will come in a way you maybe even didn't envision at first, you know, and but at yeah. least now it happened. See, this is why I was so excited when we were talking a little bit offline before about how Lisa being a recruiter and I am, because I kind of see these threads and how it crosses over, even though, you know, a job seeker, you may think, hey, your recruiter is the exact opposite of a job seeker, but not really. They're so intertwined and the same mindset, the same way about going. There's so many parallels to do it. It's, it's like Lisa's saying that just keep moving forward, keep trying and numbers game, keep getting and out there. And this is sales, right? Every yeah. salespeople not in recruiting, this is really a sales process is really what we're talking about, right? So, and a lot of people aren't used to selling, you know, that's yeah. the thing. So yeah. I think that's why it's, it's understandably uncomfortable and um, teaching them to sell themselves, but in a way that's tactical and manageable, I think is really the key. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it, you know, we see, we've seen some like really introverted people that their job is not intuitively sales driven at all, like use it because it's, it becomes then just about actions yeah. that they can accomplish in very small units of time, you know. Do you find it hard and or frustrating that, you can put together a fantastic resume for an executive, you know, just top of the line, but yet they won't do the things that you're mentioning. You know, they're not going to go out there and market themselves on LinkedIn. They're not going to sell themselves. And you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> you know? I mean, it is, I mean, it, it does happen, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's frustrating, but I mean, I find that especially this last year, you know, there's just got to be a lot of like, mental bandwidth like leeway you know <laughs> and uh yeah. like it, it, things are things are things are heavy right people are tired you know um and and you know I, I, every once in a while i see those memes of like you know all those things you thought you'd get accomplished in covid you know because you're <laughs> sitting home and and you know it's some for some and, and the joke yeah. is it's clearly not even close to what you thought you would do if, if not zero sometimes so I think we just got to all give ourselves a pass, right? And 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 sometimes the motivation to do it is difficult, especially when you have like, I mean, a lot of executives that we work with, senior professionals that we work with, we find that, you know, they've been promoted, recruited, sought after their whole career, and now all of a sudden they find themselves not in as much demand. Um, and they thought more people would call them with the jobs and, you know, and now they actually have to go out and like pound the electric pavement again and draw up, you know, activity for themselves and conversations for themselves and sell themselves again. When, you know, maybe last year, or even the year before, they felt like they arrived. They're at sort of the top of their game. And now they're, you know, and 
So it could be, it could be, it could be ego crushing in some ways, you know, and, and, you, and it has almost nothing to do with the economic shift. It just, it, we've seen it happen with clients prior to the pandemic, you know, they just didn't expect to have to look in their fifties, you know, or at 60 years old. And, um, and, but the thing is, is that it's doable. And more importantly, it is common. Nothing lasts forever, right? You, you're, you know, I remind people if they looked somewhere for 15 years, if they work somewhere for 15 years and now they have to look for a job and they're not good at it. I'm like, well, you're not good at it because you have been <laughs> gainfully employed right. for 15 years. And if you were good at this, it means you're yeah. doing it every two, three years. So it's just a matter of, I think, like reframing the situation for people and they start to see the positives of their situation and realize now this is just a skill to learn you know, a job, it's a SWOT analysis situation, right? What are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats in conducting this search? And what do we got to do to get it done? And, um, and when you start to realize this is a situation that they've managed at work in many cases, now it's just for themselves. They realize they already have the skills to do it. They just need to learn the tactics, the way they bring in consultants at work to execute a plan. That's what we're here to do for them. And when they see it that way, you know, it's, it, it allows them to see that it's very possible um, even if they're frustrated and unsure, you know, when they don't listen and do and do the things that we're telling them to do, where they hear from other experts, you know, that of what they should do. I mean, that's really just rooted in fear in most cases, you know, they're afraid. What if they put themselves out there and they don't get the response they want? Well, usually they will, but they're just afraid. It's so insightful because I, I see this, I even, I even see this pre COVID where you have people, as you mentioned, been doing a certain job for a certain amount of years, and they're used to, you know, as a recruiter, you hear from, ah, I get all my jobs through referrals because people know me and I'm always yeah. getting calls. And then when it, they don't, as you pointed out, boy, that's like a punch in the gut. And they and it really hurts their self-esteem, their self-confidence. And then when it comes to interviewing, they don't do as well because they're all, they're just fear. Like, how right. do you then get somebody or, or do you try to, give that pep talk or, or get them back on track when, when you, when you feel that they just lost that confidence. You know, I, it, you know, it obviously depends on the person, how we go about yeah. how we tackle it or come to the conversation. But I, I'd say as a general rule, we'll, you know, as you rise through the ranks, I mean, it's, it's just economic sometimes that there's fewer jobs yeah. at the higher level, right. And more people vying for them. So it's not, unheard of to think you may have to compete for it when you when you phrase it that way right there's not as many c-level jobs as it's there like are right. svp yeah. jobs right so they may have been recruited or sought after at the you know when they were at the position in their career five ten years ago but maybe now for this you know big kahuna job it's not going to be this, you know, roll out the red carpet, come on in, you know, necessarily, or even, and at that level, you might get chosen to interview, but they're choosing you to interview and they're choosing 10 other people to interview too. So you still got to compete, even though you were recruited. So, you know, you still have to compete. And, and when you phrase it that way, then they go, oh yeah, I guess that totally makes sense. You know, like it's just, um, but they maybe didn't have to as much coming up the ranks. And I also remind them, you know, when you came up the ranks, you were maybe a little bit more flexible on salary. You were willing to work as many hours as you needed to, you know, work-life balance wasn't as important. You know, now that you 
have accomplished so much and you know maybe you want more work-life balance maybe you're not flexible on your salary you know and so that now just normally naturally naturally reduces the opportunities you're going to have and that's okay that's your choice that's not somebody rejecting you you know and now you got to compete for that smaller pool of positions that give you everything that you want. And so let's do the best we can and, and give it our best shot. And when you phrase it that way, they typically start to see it as this is just, you know, them choosing what they want. And now they got to go after it as hard and as well as they can. Is that like it, it lights a fire under them when they start yeah. hearing that it's a competition? Because it's what they've done their whole career. You... It really is what they've done yeah. their whole career, but they're just not seeing it this way in this capacity. And they just so need to frame be it that way. So when you frame it that way, they're like, all right, it's a competition. All right. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Do you see you it? Like know? maybe you see in their face that it changes like, huh? All right. And, and yeah. And, and it's not that they're not getting, they're not getting calls, not because yeah. nobody wants them. They're sometimes not getting as many calls because people see that they're accomplished and maybe realize their job isn't going to measure up. So they're not going to call. And I, or you maybe have put out a vibe. You've had interviews where you say, I want X and I'm looking for this and I want this type of opportunity. And when their opportunity doesn't measure up anymore, they don't call you back anymore. So that's not rejection. That's you putting out boundaries and parameters that are important to you to maintain what you want in your next phase. And if the opportunities aren't reflecting that, they're not presenting themselves. So I said, you have to realize you are choosing for the position that you're in. Now, if you want to be flexible on something, that can open the window a little bit, but it has to make sense, you know? And when you realize, when you make them realize they're choosing for this path and it is a higher level, there's fewer opportunities. And now they just got to come up with it and up their competition game. They see it as not being left out or not being undesirable. It's just a different level game. That's it. See, that's a really great point because most people, no matter what level, there's a little bit of fear of rejection and the bad taste of feeling right. that they're not selected. But in a way, what you're saying is, it's not quote unquote rejection. It's just like you have your boundaries, as you said, and right. you have your desires and that's it. If it doesn't meet, it doesn't meet it. It's not rejecting right. you. It just doesn't fall in. And you're maybe at this point in your search, you're not going to give on those. Maybe six months later, you may, but right now it's like, okay, right. I have my goal. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to stand firm on it because I feel I should earn a certain title, a certain salary. I'm and based it. on the market research you've done, that title yeah. is in, you know, what you bring to the table is in demand and what you bring to the table you know, is warranting yeah. what you're asking for. Like it's obviously based on the external factors and research in addition to what you believe you should have, yeah. right? It's not just, because our advice, our advice too is to make sure what they're wanting is in demand. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm going to say to somebody that's not in demand right now. Your expectations are a little bit out of alignment. You might be waiting a while. They can decide if they wanna wait a while or they can adjust. You know, I'm not telling them what to go for and not go for, but I will tell them based on what I see, my experience and research we see in the field, what they're, what they're asking for maybe isn't realistic. And then we adjust accordingly. So, you know, it, it's, it's about balancing, right? How fast do you want to work? How, how much, how long can you take to do it? And what are you willing to give on? What are you not willing to give on? How, what's the demand look like for that in the marketplace? And then based on all that, we put together the the marketing documents and the outreach plan and then you know showing them how to prepare for the interview so then it all kind of comes together so that's really great and i'm glad you brought that up because 
Well, you got to start out with the end in mind, right? Yeah. And you, gotta you can't also... just want what you want if exactly. the end in mind isn't going to be suitable, right? So you got to yeah. have what you want and make sure what, I mean, you have to have, look at what job you're going for combined with what you want and make sure the two meet in the middle and then do your presentation based on yeah. the job that you're going for. And, and the company you're trying to work for. And as you pointed out, you have to also get a sense of the market because it uh -huh. could be, and I'll, I'll, I'm curious what you see. In my area where I focus primarily on Wall Street companies, they've mm -hmm. been moving aggressively for the last 10 plus years out of New York City yep. to, to other countries, to Florida, to Dallas, to you name any other place. Yeah, so then for a, a lot of senior people, as you mentioned, it's like it's like a pyramid, you know? And you point out like people at the bottom part of that uh, you know pyramid, they were getting jobs left and right, getting whatever. But as it gets narrower, they're less. But then to me, I noticed it's even lesser, lesser because now if you want to stay in New York or New Jersey or Connecticut, there's not as many. Right. So you're battling that too, which is to your point as well. You got to figure out, okay, what do I do? If the jobs aren't here, do I relocate? Do I ask for remote work? Or do I just have to take a cut? So I guess- right things you have to there's a real conversation you have to balance what you want with yeah. what's the market demand it can't just be solely what you want because if what you want is in alignment with the market you're going to be struggling and not finding what you want you know so it's a it's a combination do you find a lot of people just are, res are resistant and despite what the market is they're still going to say i want this amount of money this title and just keep going and then you want to say to them after all dude come on <laughs> you're you know, going to just keep looking I think it's, it, 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 people are the, all, it's all, everybody's, you know, different types, of all kinds, right? I mean, we have some clients that they just see chaos and they roll with it. And they are the types of people who see ethical opportunity in chaos. I mean, I've been saying that since the beginning of the pandemic, that like the people who can genuinely see ethical opportunity in chaos will thrive in this scenario. Um, you know, professionally. I'm not talking about emotionally or personally. I'm clearly not saying the pandemic is good. Just to be clear, <laughs> being pragmatic from business standpoint. So take away for the call. Yeah. says the pandemic. And, uh, yeah. No, I don't mean it's it that good. way at all. But <laughs> but some people are very good in in times of crisis, and yeah. they can see the ethical opportunity in chaos, and you know, come to it with a service mindset of how to service a, a, a population and and profit from that ethically of course and and then other people really struggle you yeah. know and really need extra bandwidth and extra help and you know more patience and um there's nothing wrong with either side you know um by any means but um some people are more resistant to change than others other people thrive with it and so yeah. I think the ones that have been resistant to change, I think have struggled the most, um, but it's definitely been a struggle for everybody, even if all appearances are, they're doing great. How about you know, yourself? How, how have you been doing? Are you COVID Fine. struggling? Okay. You know, um, you know, my COVID standard of living is, uh, I'm not sick, I'm not broke. And, uh, you know, I don't want to jump out the window today, so I'm good. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think this whole process has helped me really truly identify what's important and what really isn't a big deal. Um, I've always had a mindset of like, you know, we take our client work seriously, we do our work seriously, you know, but in the end, I'm not carrying cancer, you know, like it, I tell clients like, you're not gonna not get hired if you wanna use the word improved or increased, it really doesn't matter. Like, you know, you gotta pull back and see the big picture and People want people to solve their problems. They're not caring about the word you choose on your resume. You know, like you gotta, so I've always had, I think things relatively in perspective, at least I'd like to think so. 
but um, I think this whole process has really shown me what's important, um, reinforced it especially. And, um, you know, I'd say from April through June in hindsight, I was probably depressed and <laughs> didn't know it. And now I'm doing better and, uh, you know, and, and definitely doing the best I can. My team's amazing. Our clients are like warriors, you know, they're every, I'm just, very impressed by people's resiliency to lift each other up. You know, uh, it's, it's really been a great experience are you finding coming of, from something that's so tragic. You know, are you so. finding a lot of clients who are saying, Hey, I, I've been doing such and such, mm-hmm. but then given the pandemic, given how we see so many cases, so many deaths saying, Hey, is this all there is? All right. I, you know, I want to do something else. And they come to you and say, hey, I've been making a certain amount of money. I'm a, you know, a managing director of this Wall Street firm, but I don't have any meaning or purpose. And I want to do something to help them pivot and try to do a reinvent. So we, we do that quite a bit. Um, but it's more like more of what we do is um, helping people evaluate what they truly want to change. You know, like yeah. sometimes when that aha moment comes, you know, they, they, they think like, oh, uh, you know, I'm working for Wall Street and, uh, you know, in finance, in the corporate finance department and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go work for the nonprofit. And when they realize the director of finance role at a nonprofit pays significantly less than the corporate finance role in an organization, a corporation, a for-profit corporation, all of a sudden they're rethinking everything. So, you know, then it's, you know, helping you find the job that's going to allow you to do the volunteer work that you want or make the donations that you want. Um, Cause you know, it's not about time as much sometimes for some organizations it is, they need money sometimes more than people volunteering. Um, it depends obviously, but um, you know, ha- so help helping you find a job that will help you meet those, those goals. Even if you can't f- necessarily take a job that is gonna allow you to do the work directly in a fulfilling way, what's, a job that's still going to allow you to be a conduit to getting that fulfillment. Um, and so we'll help them do that, you know, because not everybody can walk away from the salary that they're making just to go work for a nonprofit or a job that's just simply paying less, even if it's a for-profit industry that pays less. But um, but then you use your powers for good, right, is what that phrase. So if you have that well-paying job, but maybe you now you find a company that has more work-life balance, so now you can do those other things. Yeah. Do it, so. That's a lot of what we'll do is really help people evaluate the offers, evaluate the opportunities, look at the companies even before they interview to make sure it's going to at least from the surface check the, some of the boxes that they want. Yeah. I, I, th- I got a feeling it's going to go a lot like this for a while, you know, where people are still going to be evaluating, what do I want to do? Do I want to keep doing this? And well, honestly, that's that, the- that happens every, every, that has happened since I've been in business. Right. That happened when I recruited, you know, I've been in business now 12 years. And uh, when I recruited, that happened, you know, people are like, oh, I'm, at, I, you know, I'm done run- with the rat race. I need a better quality of life. I need something that allows me to see my kids at night. I need somebody, you know, and, um, you know, it's everybody gets there. I got there. My husband was a stay-at-home dad for six years and, you know, I got burned out. And so it had to make changes. I couldn't keep doing what I was doing and not seeing my kids as much as I wanted or not, you know, so it's um, everybody has a finite, you know, bandwidth for that crazy path (laughs) if they're on it. 
And I think it's a common thing and that's gonna happen. It happened before the pandemic. I think the pandemic exacerbated it and it's absolutely gonna continue after, so. Yeah, like I saw it after 9-11, after mm-hmm. the financial crisis, yep. and now like, I ran a downtown. I didn't mention this. I ran a downtown New York City office during 9/11. Oh my God! So were you down there at that time? I was. Or? I was actually in Midtown. Yeah. At the time, but um, you know, we had staff in the building, but everybody Gee. made it out, and it was it was a pretty intense, needless to say, tense moment. But I, um, yeah, and I, I lived through that downturn. I lived through 2009 you know, uh, financial downturn. This is the company I work for. It's like second biggest client, Bear Stearns. You know, so I was laid off there. That's when I started Chameleon. <laughs> we had, we had, at least we I had like- it. I worked in New York at the time, yeah. you know, so that, that was a whole crap show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, now this, and like, I can tell you, that's why I can comfortably say that it's terrible. It's awful. I mean, I wouldn't want to wish it or I'll go through it again ever. Um, you know, but when you look at history, the stuff happens. Like it's, there is a cyclical. It's like almost 10 years. You know, it's yeah. like almost every 10-ish year. And, and there's always some sort of periodic, I don't want to say cyclical, maybe even, I don't know if cyclical is the right word, but periodic, it happens. What mm-hmm. goes up, comes down, what goes down, goes up. And that, you know, and so the key is to make sure you are gainfully employed through all these cycles, like how to, how to cycle proof your career and it's about being ready it's about having documents pretty much ready to go almost at any time continually updating them even when you don't need them and and talking to people on a periodic basis so this way if you do need to tap your network you're not in the position of going oh now i gotta call this person who i haven't talked to in like four years and the first thing is going to be like i need a job and then they feel like a dork and that adds to the paralysis too but if you've kept your network somewhat warm and if you've helped some people along the way and you've kept your documents and your achievements cataloged in some way, you're ready to go. And it's not gonna be as catastrophic when you have a change that you didn't anticipate. And more importantly, you might get an amazing opportunity and now you're ready to go and you're not scrambling to get the document ready. So I find that it's it's really about being ready. It's about being prepared. Um, that to me is, that's our mission. It's like, you know, I actually have like a, a year long podcast that's still out there. It's called Pretend You're Fired Today. Yeah. Pretend You're Fired Today.com. And uh, it's, the story behind it is, um, you know, I had, a, I had a, a work friend, this is 2008, nine. I had a work friend who, um, was unexpectedly let go after being with our company for 10 years and she was a producer but you know she mainly didn't get along with management at the time and it it hit her like a ton of bricks like she didn't call me for two months and and uh when she finally did call me back she's like you have to pretend this happens this could happen to you she's like i was with the company nine years at the time and a big producer and you know keep her players she's like you cannot think you're immune to this and i kind of didn't listen but I kind of listened. Yeah. Then the next month, my boss, who was with the company for 17 years, got let go. Wow. So I was like, hmm, maybe she's right. <laughs> I think she's on to something. I think there. she's on to something. Yeah. And so I literally got my resume done. Yeah. And I, you know, LinkedIn, I think was a year or two old at the time, maybe three years old at the time. So I got, you know, I was on LinkedIn a year. I, I got my profile done. I think all that whole time I didn't have my profile done. I was just using it to recruit. And I started going on networking lunches 
and just talking to people, meeting them, whatever. And because I was always a eat at my lunch, eat my lunch at my desk kind of girl, you know, work through lunch. And uh, I stopped doing that. And um, eight months later, after the boss was fired, um, they brought me in. They, my, my boss at the time, my new boss at the time, brought me to Windows on the World in Manhattan uh, for lunch. And I thought we were going to talk about a promotion. Oh, no. And I was talked. No, I wasn't laid off. But okay. I was talked. I was talked about, uh, I, we talked about moving me into a different job, which actually from a strategic standpoint made perfect sense. Like they were not doing anything negative to me in their eyes. Mm. It was absolutely unequivocally a job I did not want and mm. would have killed my soul. It was doing startups because I was really good at it, but I was so done doing startups. And they were like, oh yeah, we're gonna have you do all the startups. And I'm like, no, I don't want to mm. do startups anymore. But because I was, networking, had my documents done. I had a few things even in the fire. Despite being a sole income with my husband as a stay-at-home dad, I turned the job down and I asked for a package. Wow. I can tell you, Jack, I would have never, ever, ever done that if I did not have any feelers out. Right. Because I would have been like, oh my God, this is my income. This is my family's income. I had one income. He was a stay-at-home dad. I, there's no way I can take this, not take this job. And I would have been in like soul-crushing hell. And I would have been on a plane a lot. It would have killed me. I know it would have killed me. And because she did that, I was able to walk away. I got a package. And within 30 days, I had another job. Wow, that's fantastic. So that to me is like the mission that I am all about telling people, please be prepared because you just don't know what's going to come. You know, and it, like just have things ready. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, but just have it ready. Have, talk to some people once a month, talk twice a month. Like, just keep it ready. And that's a lot of what we try to do for people. And, you know, do we work with people in the reactive way? Of course we do. But it's easier for them when it's not, you know? That's, so that's interesting. Our mutual friend, Mark Anthony Dyson, that's his yes. mantra. And, and you know what? I always that's mix why I it up. I love him so much. <laughs> and I always mix it up. He's, he says either you always have to wear your job search jacket or your yeah. job search. He's got all these great analogies. I yeah. forgot which one it is. And I always can't remember the exact one. But that's his exact thing he's always saying is that you don't know what's going to happen. And I think now more than ever, I think that was always important. The feeling I have is the world we're in now, that's even more important to always be. Oh, yeah. it just seemed, things just seem to be moving way too fast for a lot of people. And you just have to be prepared. You, you really to, just have always have to be prepared. I mean, and this goes beyond job search, like try to have one source, you know, more than one source of income or, you know, try to have backup, you know, I mean, just so many things, right? Like um, keep, you know, the rainy day fund, like all that stuff. You just never really ever know. And, um, and so, you know, I, that's just a lot of what we do. And it's funny, you brought up before about um, how I liked, it just stuck in my head if you don't, if I can shift gear a minute. Yeah. Um, you brought up before about how did I like contract recruiting? Um, and I can tell you, I loved it. And I think this is why. Um, by no means am I saying executive recruiting is easy because um, it's not easy. Um, but when you have someone who's has like a nice little background, you know, five years, seven years, five years, and you're trying to present them to a client, it, you know, it's easier to cover the reasons for leaving their stable background. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A lot of times in the contracting world, you know, you have really amazing people that kind of get like the crap end of the stick because they might be like seven months in an assignment, six months in an assignment, 
and then there's a three-month gap, and then they have another seven-month assignment. And I have to tell you, there's some really amazingly talented people in that pool that don't know how to sell themselves, you know, and they're loyal to a fault. You know, um, when you have someone that you place and tell them it's a six-month assignment, they tend to, if, assuming, and they're a loyal contractor, they tend to not, they tend to, to keep that, to keep their word on their six-month assignment. They don't interview as much. So they're putting the rest of their career on hold to stick to their word on this assignment. Because if they keep interviewing the first month, then they're going to probably get an offer and then they're going to have to leave. And then no, that doesn't do anybody any good. So they tend to be loyal people who have great talent because they can come in in a minute and start working, right? But contracting, there's a lot, little time for error and very little time for training. Um, so they have to come in, produce on a dime, usually with not a lot of support because everybody looks at the contractor like, you know, they don't want to work with them because they're afraid they're going to take their job. And they are not so great at selling themselves and often very loyal because they will stick to the end of the assignment. They're some of the best people. And I find that those people need a champion, you know, and um, I was really good at it. And um, I loved it, you know, for that reason. And I find like, that's what I think it makes us really good at positioning really uh, non-linear backgrounds. Um, or when people have gaps, you know, because they've maybe stayed home to care for a parent or they stayed home with their kids or, um, you know, they had, took a crappy job. They didn't realize the job was crappy and they wound up getting let go after two months and now they got to overcome that. Um, I find that the human stories that, you know, and the human stories are now riddled with, uh, or, or we're now riddled with human stories as a result of pandemic, you know, economics. Um, Conveying, telling, showing people how to accept their humanity and not have any shame around it and promote themselves on a job interview is to me like one of the best things about our jobs, you know? And, and if somebody has the blessing of having a very linear background, that's easy to sell, that's awesome. But that doesn't mean everyone else who doesn't have a linear background should fall from grace. They just need, they need help. And, and, I, and that's what I learned in contract recruiting. And that's why I loved it. And I think that's what makes us really good at positioning people who don't have linear backgrounds. Yeah. So I do it every day. You know, I agree with that assessment. It's, it's really hard because I'm curious your feeling. A lot of companies, they don't give too much. You know, they want exactly what they want. Yeah. And if they see somebody with a jumpy back, in their opinion, a jumpy, jumpy right. background, right? <laughs> it's so, I got to tell you, as a recruiter, if I bring somebody in, not, let's say not on a contract, but a full-time basis, but for some reason they have some moves, but let's say very valid, you know, reason. It's so hard, yeah. sometimes impossible. And it's, it's so sad because you know, these people are tremendous. As you're pointing out, they're great. They're awesome. But for them, just a little bad luck or a little, you know, what have you, or even so no hard. bad luck. They have yeah. a work ethic and a commit, an ethic to their commitment. They say, okay, you need me to work six months, I'll work six yeah. months. And so they don't interview for most of yeah. that time until the end. And then sometimes they don't even know if the assignment's gonna end or not. So there's that dance, right? And then, so they, but then the assignment ends and they don't have something lined up and now there's a gap. Yeah. And it's only because they were loyal. Yeah. You know, if they were selfish and 
kept looking while that whole time they worked. It'll keep going immediately, right. They would have and left it, the assignment at, at midway yeah. and you would have thought they were terrible yeah. at the recruiter and, you know, and but yet they took care of themselves and they have no gaps. So- and then, have that, and, then take it to your, and then to follow on what you're saying is they can't get a job right away and they're out for two, three months looking. So then, then they, they take they, another temporary assignment. And they can be like, why- and Now you're, you're in months? what I call like the contract hell, the contract you get, you get stuck in that. It's terrible. It's a temporary job like rut. It's you one know, of the things that's just so wrong. It's just, and it's it just, is wrong. And, yeah. and, you know, but I think, you know, there is, always, you know, I, I'm always grateful for opportunities like this to kind of like put the word out, right? So we can yeah. make sure these people have a champion, right? And, um, and, and educate recruiters on seeing the possibilities in alternative type yeah. nonlinear backgrounds. But also, most importantly, to give people the confidence, those contractor type backgrounds, the confidence to realize there's nothing wrong. And so to, when you go in somewhere with confidence and, and no excuses for your background, people see the confidence yeah. and they can shift and say, oh yeah, you know what, this is different. I, you know, this person's great, she's great, even though da da da, you know, like the even though doesn't become yeah, yeah. as big of an issue when right. somebody comes in with confidence and doesn't come doesn't project this subliminal thing about like their background has baggage right so ultimately hiring managers don't want the baggage right they don't want the problems at work but when people are confident about their humanity i find that a lot of recruiters actually are open to it because they have the same humanity themselves you know they have their same situations at home too you know, um, they have, if they have a linear background, they sure has hell have family members and friends that are, you know, doing multiple jobs to make the ends meet and do things, you know, so everybody knows if they're not in it, they know people who are doing it. So it, it, it's just a matter of, I think, confidence and removing the shame from it for some of these job seekers, I think is massive because that's, I think, where the change starts to happen. You can educate a recruiter but if somebody comes in without the confidence, it, yeah. it may not turn the corner. You know, you got to have both the recruiter being educated on these alternative backgrounds, being very filled with potential. Additionally, the, the candidate needs to come in with a little confidence and sell themselves better. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that's it. That's where the magic happens. So. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought it because that is such a key issue and such an important part. And it's not really talked about too much. And for the people going through it, it's really rough. So I'm, I'm glad you're able to kind of walk people through what yeah, goes on. Yeah, and I think it's important because we have a lot of people now with 2020 with gaps. Absolutely. We had it in 2008 and nine, you know, um, and, you know, it's, um, it needs to be like shouted to the mountaintops that yeah. there's some amazing talent in this pool and they're just not great at marketing themselves. And they're often really loyal, you know? Um, so you gotta like help, you gotta like look past what's on the paper you know? And um, so anyway, that's just my little. No, that's shit. great. I'm so glad you brought it up. It's, it's okay. Stepping off soapbox though. No. Because no, you know what? There's a lot of these things that aren't talked about enough. You know, there's yeah. certain things that are talked to death, right? About the whole right, job right, search right. part. Others that they just conveniently skip over, but they're really serious issue, particularly for the people who, who are you know, going through it. And then I think it's, and I think the way you walked it through, it, it, it's if, if hiring managers are listening to this now, you know, senior HR people, hopefully it kind of opens their eyes. They, huh, let me take a, you know, let me take another look at these folks instead of just saying nope. Like I've even had, you probably had this too, for years, even pre-COVID, where if somebody lost their job, 
they would be like, well, Jack, why did that person lose the job? And so almost like victim blaming yeah, and not want that person when I could find someone who already has a job. And I'm like, wait a and that's such a cold-blooded, in my opinion, it's always such a cold-blooded thing to say, you think. It's like, these things happen. It happens all the time. And now you're going to blame happens, it. It happens, you know? Or when somebody worked for 15 years or 20 years at one company, which is like the biggest blessing ever, right? Even if you were unhappy some of those years, it's still, you didn't have to worry about getting paid, right? It's still a blessing. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I'll remind people, like, you know, without sounding cruel, like, mm -hmm. you're not entitled to never losing a job like i don't know where your human papers state that you're one who's going to be like never losing a job but that doesn't yeah. happen like we all lose a job here and there like a client you know don't you know i said it's just it's part of life and all the time you've Absolutely. been lucky to not have to deal with this before that's yeah. all you know i always tell my kids you have good problems or bad problems i said you're always going to have problems you know, it's just, are you have good problems or bad problems? Yeah, so when people a, have 15 years of employment and now they're unemployed, like you have good problems. Okay, you had a good run. You had a good run. Some people can't run. even say right, they had right. a good run. You had a good <laughs> you know? run. So, okay. So yeah, that's a good, that's a positive. It sucks you know? now, but you had that good run. So, okay. You had a good run. So yeah. let's, now you got, you're not good at looking for a job because yeah. you had a good run. That yeah, means yeah. this is a good problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, you're never going to not have problems in life ever. Right. You know? It just, and you try, I, I try to do just outside of recruiting all this, but in the real world is then to look at the issues and say, hey, is this a, a problem that I really have to get annoyed at? Am I just wasting my right, time? Right, or is this energy? like a problem that's like you know? really more logistics? It's not yeah. even really a problem. I can say, I, I say that to myself. If I have one of those days, like, wait, you know what? Unless, you know, my kids, my family have like this serious health issue, nothing's going to be a problem. I can't. Well, it goes you know, back to my COVID standard of living. Like, exactly. Know. Exactly. Well, you got to part. And I think I, and I've been doing that a lot during the pandemic because we're all going through some crazy, you know, whatever. I know. So like you try to say, wait a minute, I'm healthy. I'm okay. Everyone else around me. Okay. So like, whatever. Everything, you yeah. know what I mean? It's all right. It's really okay. Who yeah, can I help today? Like, let me go turn my attention to somebody I can help, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. Oh, so let me do this. You know what? Quick, we almost did an hour and I did we? we did, are we really? Holy yeah, crap. we did, and we even <laughs> delve into chameleon resume. So, how about right, the next like five ten chameleon. minutes? Can you can you just tell a little bit more about what everyone talks about the ATS? So I don't know if you're yes. like sick and tired of people asking you those questions and when you want to okay. talk about it or anything you could tell the audience who are watching now or watch what they should know, just generally speaking, about the resume, about the ATS system, and. Uh, you know, any, any myths that you could dispel or anything that you feel you got to know this? So I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because, um, you know, we both worked with applicant tracking systems, you know, and uh, I'm not a fan, needless to say, but I totally understand why they are used. I You've been on the receiving end of those. There's no way I can handle the volume of resumes that come in and try to track them and search them without a system like that. So you know, when I see sometimes job search coaches or career coaches, resume writers, like sort of come down on the ATS system, like, you know, these companies have to change it. I'm like, well, how else do you think it's going to get better if they're handling, you know, every resume by hand, that's never going to work. Like, you know, somebody gets 800 resumes to a job, if they don't have a system, nobody's getting a call back. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, I think it's just a necessary thing. I'm not even calling it a necessary evil. It's just a necessary thing when you start having volume. So I'm the person who is an acceptance. Like I deal a lot. I try to deal a lot with acceptance, you know, like accepting the situation, what it is. I mean, I like it, but 
they're not going away. And we have two choices. We can either spend all our time trying to ATS, make the resume ATS compliant and sending it, or we can contact people and avoid it as much as possible. That's the key, and, yeah, I think. I, I, and I, when you look at sources yeah. of higher studies, um, you know, and, and this is a generalized compilation of my findings. It's not every, every specific study has like different, there are different numbers. And although they're still all in these roughly the same buckets, like only 20 to 25% of hires happen through job postings, you know? And so, and it doesn't mean if you're sending it to a person, it's not ultimately gonna end up in an ATS, but you, I find that if you design the resume for people to read it and capture their attention in six, five, you know, six, 10, 15 second increments to incentivize them to keep reading to ultimately call you for an interview or email you for an interview. If you focus on people, which is how like 60, 65% of hires happen and you write it for people, you're gonna have people contact you, right? What's the biggest complaint that people say about ATS? Oh, it never makes it to a human eyeball. Well, if you want a human eyeball to see it, send it to a human, right? So, I mean, it's, I don't, you know, I don't mean to sound glib, but- No, no, that's but a lot sometimes of what that's we, what it is. That's yeah. a lot of what we teach. Now, yeah. I'm not saying ignore job posting. I'm not saying you'll never send it to a job posting, you know, but most people, aren't going to get hired through an ATS. And I find that, and I, I'd be interested to see what source of higher studies show next year. I think the ATS job postings are going to be even less because now with the volume of people applying, there's no way they can be more successful in my opinion. We'll see what happens next year if I'm right or wrong. But um, I think that, and now with most people doing career changes, you know, out of hospitality or out of different industries that maybe got really pandemic affected by the pandemic, when you career changers do terribly in the ATS because their positions, their current and pre past positions aren't naturally keyworded to the industry they're going for. You know, like if you can code an ATS, I want people out of this company, right? Well, if you didn't work for that company or that industry, even you're not going to get picked no matter how great your resume looks. If they want people who had this title and you're doing a switch to a different profession or a different industry, you're not going to have that title no matter how well your resume is written. So career changers do terribly in the applicant tracking system and they do more, they have more success when they're reaching out to people directly. So I think generally speaking, the best advice for most people is use the AT, use the job postings as fodder, as information, as research to now go find people to reach out to at the company with or without a job posting relevant to them being posted and reach out and network to people and just have conversations, keep it light. Everybody is home for the most part. Everybody ha wants to talk to somebody. You know, just keep conversations light and easy, keep the requests light and easy, don't ask for a job and try to just set up networking conversations yeah. and see how you can help people. And your story will come up at one point in the conversation, they'll see if they can help you and you just try to set those up and keep going. But, um, you know, I'm not one to make somebody obsessed about complying with the ATS. It's important, but it shouldn't be the goal because you're focused on such a small part of how hires happen. And if especially you're doing a career change, it's really almost a futile yeah. exercise. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense because let's say a place like Google or Apple, can you imagine the volume of resumes they get in every day? Yeah, it's I mean, they impossible. couldn't do that job without 
impossible. They need, they need like triple the amount of recruiters they have on staff it's, now, and they still wouldn't have enough people to deal with the applications. Right? Yeah. It's impossible. But if you can get as, as, as we, you know, you're, you're a champion to get, if I, if I know you're a Google and I know someone who knows you and I go to that person, Hey, Hey, Mark, can you get me in front of, you know, Lisa, can you get the yeah. resume there? Just put in a good word for me. You just bypass everything. And if my resume yeah, and you ultimately will get into it maybe yeah. and if that job doesn't work out now yeah. you're in the system and they somebody might find you later on you still need to be ats compliant so your system your resume is digested into the system to be found later in case you didn't make it this first time so i'm not by any means dismissing it but i find that when people that's all they focus on chances are they're the ones usually struggling with the job yeah. search. And, our and clients he, that are focused on talking to people are the ones really finding success the ones that are just hell-bent on waiting for a recruiter to call them or um you know thinking that it's going to be the ats a lot of them are struggling yeah you know you and, and we try to do our best to you know what's the phrase you can only lead the horse to water you yeah. know so we're always there for them and and um you know but even before somebody hires us i really try to drill home that there is going to be work involved in this like the resume is yeah. not and that's the other the, the resume is not the magic elixir you know or the profile. And that, well, that's interesting that's coming from someone that's your 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 business oh yeah uh, yeah oh no that's i mean you you read the resume is not the magic elixir nor the nor is the profile you know the same people take the same perspective with the profile they think oh i just wrote my profile i built my profile i like take the field of dreams approach i build it and they will come <laughs> yeah. that's not going to happen either you know, resume and a profile, I, I use the analogy of it being like a business card. Just because you have a business card doesn't mean you're going to get business, right? It's what you do with the business card that gets you business. Well, it's the same thing. Res whatever you do with the resume, that's what gets you the interviews. What you do with the profile, the activity you do on LinkedIn, other aspects of social media. You have to look at where your audience is, put your marketing materials where they are, and approach them. You know, and, you know, so it's looking where, you, what job do you want? Where do those people congregate online? Put yourself there, you know, try to make some personal connections and having your marketing materials be in those, those channels. So this way they can find you. And I mean, that's just, it's sales, right? It's to me, it's a sales process, but um, it's, I don't mean it oversimplified, but that's essentially what we try to yeah. do for people is help them come up with the, um, the process, you know, based on what target they want, who should we be talking to? What should we, information of your successes should be presenting to them that are relevant? And then you make your pitch. That's great. That makes a lot of sense. And now are all the other resume writers going to hate you for saying all this now that you blow up their spot? <laughs> You're saying, hey, it's important, but not as important. And, you know what? I'm not one of those yeah. resume writers that thinks everyone has to have a professional written resume. Yeah. Like I actually have a whole suite of things for people to do it themselves. Like that's what Job Landing Academy is. It's actually all <laughs> templates, books, videos, critique services. Because, you know, not everybody can afford, you know, several thousand dollars for a process, right? But that doesn't mean they shouldn't get help. Um, you know, we have things from $10 to four figures, you know, so um, everybody deserves help. And I try to give it in a way that everybody can at least get some help. And, um, you know, and frankly, our free stuff, I, we, we have a definitive guide to executive resume writing, I put out, you um, 
daily career tips to my list every day. I've been doing it for five years. I put a daily email out. We have a list of about 83,000 people. Um, you know, I put out a ton of free stuff. We do bi-weekly webinars um, on LinkedIn writing and uh, LinkedIn profile writing and resume writing. We do them every other month, every other week, um, every month. We've been doing it for six years. We put out so much free information. I've had, I have testimonials that people tell me they got, they landed a job using the information we put out in our free stuff. So I, I view our, my free materials as like my pro bono. Yeah, I'm, I do sell, you know, off of it. I'm not, you know, full disclosure, you will get an offer if you opt in for my free stuff, but the free stuff is so good that you don't have to necessarily buy anything and people land jobs from it. So I just believe in helping people, you know, um, and I view that as my pro bono work. Yeah, well, you know, it comes around too. You know, what I see, and I wonder if you see the same thing with recruiting. You know, you could talk to somebody who may, let's say in my case, I might talk to someone who's not really in my field and what have you, but for whatever reason, it, we, we our paths crossed and I give advice and help out. And then who three years later, you could get, oh, so-and-so calls you and say, hey, you spoke to, you know, Joe, and they said to call you, I have this job order for you. And it's, this is kind of corny and weird, but I do find that works that there's this kind of thing that comes around, this calmer kind of thing that helps. So, you know, you put it out to the universe, as you say, and you get back probably as much or more than you give out. And it does seem to work. And it also, it, the intrinsic value of feeling good about doing that. You know what I mean? I mean, you're helping people. selfishly, I feel good, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I sometimes do it because I simply, I just feel yeah. good. And then, you know, I get emails back like, you know, you don't know who I am, but you know, I've been following your emails for two years and I forwarded this one to my daughter and it helped her land a job. Like, that's so awesome. Like, that's awesome. And, really you know, so I, I, I wish I had the bandwidth to talk to everybody and help everybody that I can, like personally, you know, and I, I mean, I, I don't, especially, you know, if I want to like talk to my kids and have my husband not have, <laughs> have right? a life, so, right? Um, but, but I, you know, if I can do this way, do it this way in the reach, I love to write, you know, I, I can put, emails together I'm on the fly and I, it's it's rewarding you know and if somebody can get it from that and it's fine you know um I, I'm just a big believer if you do the right thing the money comes yeah. you know and it may not come exactly from who you're giving the information to but it'll come some other way and I agree with you. I, I've you seen, know, I'm not a religious person but I just believe that the universe provides and that's it you know I agree I've seen that happen provides. all the time I agree with you it's it's so weird how that happens but it does Mm -hmm. which is a cool thing. It's a good thing Yeah, that it works that way. Any, any, any last things that I didn't ask you or any advice you want to uh, give out before we head out? Um, you know, I think the, you, we basically touched on everything yeah. that's been really fun. Um, you know, I just, I think the, the biggest message is no matter how crazy your background may be or, you know, whatever maybe, you know, obstacles somebody has is to really always know there's a way out. You know, there's always a way to position it. And, um, you know, companies want people who are diplomatically vulnerable, you know, because they want to know that when things happen at work, you're going to be, you're going to bounce back mm -hmm. and, and that you're going to be honest. And so if you are, you know, diplomatically vulnerable on interviews, good quality employers are going to respect that. And they will see your experience in that light, you know, and not to take any 
non-linear moment about your background as a, as any ounce of shame. Like it's just a story that you've learned from and you can now use it as part of your experience and it's just a matter of how you promote it and there's always hope. I think that's really the message. That's great. What, what, a, what a great way to end this. This is a perfect, that's a beautiful, lovely way to end it. I love it. And, and where can people find you? What's the best way? Um, chameleonresumes.com is our main business. It's the best way to find me. Um, there's also Job Landing Academy. Anything you click on there, I'll, I'll get to. It'll come to me as well. So Great. Uh, and then you can always find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. Seriously, this was awesome, Lisa. No, thank you. you. Really this did. was really fun. Yeah. See, I told you it worked out well. I talk about my business most of the time, which is fine. Which is, <laughs> and then that's the best way to be because it just means yes. we're helping and it's good. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, I know you're a little worried at first. Like, you're like, oh, do we have a set topic? But I, you know, this is kind of what I was saying. I, I, you yeah. know, I, I, I saw your background. I, I've read your stuff. I know people who know you and I thought, hey, you have a lot to offer. So I figured if we just got talking, you're going to give some great advice. And it exceeded my expectations. You gave amazing, Same here. It's amazing all good. advice. I really, I really like it and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you for the chance to oh, reach your pleasure. audience. It's great. Okay. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.